in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed you will supply our need and we are thankful uh, that you've got all of our needs covered. And Father, right now we need to know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. And so Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts this morning. Father, may they not just be words on a page, but uh, your living truth spoken without error and given to your people. Father, be with us now as we look to you through your word, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn with me to John 10, John 10, that's where we're going to spend our time uh, looking at that passage. And as we, Rob has mentioned, uh, we are in our second week of our series, How Jesus Christ Runs His Church, What Church Government Is and Why It Matters. Well, why now? Well, it would probably be always a good time to remind ourselves that Jesus is our shepherd, but in particular now, as we get closer and closer to becoming a separate and particular church where we will have our own elders and possibly even deacons, um, An elder is a shepherd of the church, and there's no better way to understand the work of the elder than to first appreciate and grow in our understanding of Jesus, our shepherd. As I've been saying, church government, it's not a mundane or peripheral issue, although some people may initially believe it to be. Rather, it's important And it's central because what a church does, its ministry, its life, cannot be separated from how the church is led, its government. And as you heard last week in looking at the various forms of church government, Presbyterian or representative church government provides the checks and balances that are needed to protect the church from anarchy on the one hand and tyranny on the other. In other words, to protect us from an anything-goes mentality to an autocratic um, my-way-or-the-highway attitude that may be present in some churches. And speaking of some churches, a number of years ago I was on leave from the Navy, I was back in the area where I went to college in North Carolina, and I was um, visiting some good friends of mine, and we went to um, church uh, together at Chapel Hill Bible Church, and I um, had a friend along with me, and I was excited and eager uh, to introduce her, this was before Michelle came along, uh, introduce her to, to uh, a great church and, and a great ministry of a church, because I'd had some uh, I visited Chapel Hill Bible Church a few times, and each time I'd been blessed by the fellowship and the worship and the preaching of the word. And, and I remember um, this, the prayers were wonderful, the singing was great, and, and, and the senior pastor got up to start his sermon, and it went out, it went something like this. I'll never forget it. He said something like, the leader of this church has absolute authority. And therefore, he demands full trust and allegiance. Well, you should have seen the expression on my face. Um, I looked over at my friend Mark, and I said, what is this church coming to? I looked next to this friend, embarrassed that I had stumbled upon what sounded like a cult. And I was looking for the exit. 
But thankfully, his next few sentences cleared it up. For he said, and we all know that the one leader of this church is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you could see the relief on my face and the relief on everyone's faces. Jesus Christ, the king, the head, the ruler of his church. As we saw last week in Isaiah 9, the government rests upon his shoulders. In Colossians 1, he is the head of the church. I mean, what goes without saying oftentimes should be said. Jesus Christ is the boss. He's in charge. He calls the shots in his church. And remember, the Great Commission starts off like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Children, how much authority does Jesus have? Some? A little bit? All authority. It's no accident that that is recorded for us. It was no accident that that was what Jesus said. All authority. And so our current series is in a word about how Jesus Christ runs the church, his church. So Jesus is the king of his church, the supreme ruler. And yet, interestingly, in the scriptures, Jesus describes his role as king as both a shepherd and a servant. The king, in other words, is the shepherd of his church. And we see that ministry represented with the elders of the church. But Jesus is also the servant of his church, and we see that represented in the ministry of the deacons. This week, we're going to look at Jesus, our shepherd, and then next week, we'll look at uh, the person and work of the elder, and then we'll look at Jesus, our servant, and then look at the person and work of the deacon. Because it's tempting to say, hey, let's go with who's the elder and what does the elder do? And then, oh, by the way, Jesus, oh yeah, he's our shepherd. But no, my friends, the order is important because we get our understanding first and foremost from Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Today, the shepherd, the good shepherd, as we will see in John 10, the great shepherd, as you hear about once a month from Hebrews 13, the great shepherd of the sheep. And Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. So you've got the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. And this is rich biblical imagery, as Rob has already pointed out, the shepherd and the sheep. Psalm 23, even though we didn't read it, we sang it. Three times we sang Psalm 23. We read in Psalm 78, Then the Lord led his people out like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. We read in Isaiah 40, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we read of the Lord gathering his sheep and keeping his sheep. In a month or so, when we get to Mark chapter 6, we will read this. He, that is Jesus, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And earlier in Ezekiel 34, we heard of false and bad shepherds, shepherds that were full of self-interest and could care less about the sheep. But we also heard in the context of the false shepherds and the bad shepherds, we heard the promise of the good shepherd to come, the promise of the faithful and true shepherd. Well, in our passage, John 10, Jesus self-identifies himself twice as the good shepherd. And in view of this self-declaration, we're going to consider two aspects of Jesus being the good shepherd. First, the extent of his love as the good shepherd. And second, the extent of his knowledge as the good shepherd. And after that, we will consider the extent of our response in view of both his love for us and his knowledge of us. First, let's look at verse 11 and consider the extent of his love. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, in order to get to verse 11, we need to make a few comments about verses 1 through 10. According to verse 6, the first five verses are a figure of speech, or as I heard Stan read, I believe, uh, uh, an illustration. And verses 7 through 18 is not so much an explanation of this metaphor, this image, this picture, as it is an expansion of the image. And here in our passage, Jesus contrasts himself with thieves and robbers. Children, are thieves and robbers up to good or no good? No good, right? Because what do they do? They come to steal to kill and destroy. And so Jesus is saying, I am not that. I rather am the good shepherd. I am the one who has come. Why? We read in verse 10. So that his sheep would have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. Well, what does a shepherd do as we see in our passage? Now, The um, training that I've received through the years on what it means to be an elder in the church, um, I think is helpfully summarized in these four points. An elder is uh, a man who knows the sheep, who, who feeds the sheep, who leads the sheep, and who protects the sheep. And we see all of those taking place in our passage. In verse three, we read this. Um, The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He speaks to his sheep and in doing so he's knowing them, he's feeding them and he leads his sheep. He goes before his sheep and what do his sheep do? They follow him as we see in verse 4. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus mentions that he's the way and the door for his sheep to go in and out and find pasture. And pasture is where they are fed. They are led to where they can be fed. But in contrast to the hired hand who's only got self-interest in mind, Jesus is saying as the good shepherd, he is the owner of the sheep. And therefore, we see in verse 12, he stays with the sheep. In the midst of danger. 
He cares for the sheep. We see in verse 13. He, in other words, protects the sheep. Because the hired hand sees the wolf coming and flees, but not the shepherd, not the good shepherd. He stays with his sheep to protect them, to care for them. Well, what extent, to what extent does the shepherd care for his sheep? In other words, to what extent does the shepherd love his sheep? Now, remember what we're talking about here, what we're dealing with. We're dealing with sheep. This is not a case of loving the lovely. This is a case of loving the unlovely because sheep are dirty and stubborn and stupid. And yet, what does Jesus do? We read, he lays down his life for the sheep. We see that in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But we also see it, look with me, in verse 15. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He's repeated himself, but look again at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And not only that, in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep. How many times? Not once, not twice, not three times, four times. Maybe you and I need to know that. Maybe it's repeated four times to get it through us. Jesus Christ lays down his life for his people. You know, what's interesting is the death of Jesus doesn't put his sheep at risk. The death of this shepherd actually is the only way that the sheep will be rescued. The only way to save them as the rest of scripture unfolds, especially in Paul's letters, understanding the work of Christ on our behalf. And indeed, this language, this metaphorical language of sheep and shepherd points beyond itself to Jesus himself and his work on the cross. And in verse 18 that I read just a moment ago, we see a death that is voluntary. Jesus does it of his own accord. It's vicarious as a substitute in our place and it's specific for his sheep. For whom does Jesus as the good shepherd die? Sheep. He dies for sheep as we read in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Think with me again of sheep. Utterly helpless. The stories are told that if a sheep gets turned over on his back with the legs up in the air, guess what? He stays on his back. Children, when you fall down and fall over, what happens next? Either you get up or somebody gets you up, right? Sheep can't get up, from what I've been told. They stay on their back until the shepherd gets them back on their feet. Sheep is utterly helpless, possessing limited intelligence, not creative, creatures of habit. 
prone to listless wandering. At times, sheep are frightened to death. At times, sheep are unmoved. Not only are they utterly helpless, sheep are utterly defenseless. Jesus is being described here. He's describing himself as the good shepherd. Not only in contrast to the hired hands, but he's, he's contrasting that he is not the helpless one. He is not the defenseless one. He is the one who will lead and feed and, and know and protect his sheep. These images of sheep and shepherd help us to understand our Savior. The good shepherd, he is being described as beautiful and morally upright. In verse 11, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. And immediately he says what? That the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, he tells us the extent of his love. He says, I love you to the degree that I will die for you. Now in verse 14, he declares once again that he is the good shepherd. And immediately he says that he knows his own and his own know him. And so we're going to now consider the extent of his knowledge of his sheep. Look with me at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own. There's an echo there of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus, in one of the most sobering statements, says, I never knew you. Depart from me. But here he says, I know my own and my own know me. Brothers and sisters here this morning, I want you to stop for a moment. And, and think about this with me. I want you to let this sink in. Jesus Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the omniscient, all-powerful, Jesus knows everything about us. Everything that's out there for the public to see and everything out there that we've labeled private that we don't want anyone else to see. Jesus knows every single thing about us. Our thoughts, our actions, our motives. Jesus knows us to the depths, to the, to the, to the crevices, Of our sinfulness. He knows us. He knows us. He knows us. And yet we read that he loves us to the extent of dying for us in our place. Because he knows that that's the only way to rescue us. Think with me of Romans 5. While we were what? Still weak. Ungodly. Still sinners, even summarized as being enemies of God, Jesus dies for us because of his love. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus does not reject us on account of his knowledge of us. How many of you all have had the friends or so-called friends you thought that when they found out something about you, they were gone? How about husbands and wives? You thought you were honest with one another, but then something gets revealed. And yet your husband or your wife sticks around and stays and works it out. That's a small example of the commitment that Jesus has to his bride. And notice that this knowledge is mutual and reciprocal. And my own know me. It's an intimate friendship. It's it's a marriage relationship of husband and wife knowing one another more and more. And this is parallel to the mutual knowledge of the father and the son. The intimacy. None greater. The father and the son are one. The oneness of command as the father calls Jesus. And the oneness of obedience as Jesus obeys. It's the relationship of love and knowledge. He knows us and yet maybe because of that he loves us. Brothers and sisters, take great comfort in this today. You know, all of us are in battles in one way, shape, or form. And I've seen a number of of people struggle with guilt and struggle with, uh, well, how could God love me for this? Brothers and sisters, the good shepherd loves his sheep. How much? To the extent of dying for them. And he loves us, but he knows us. He knows us. And so we've seen the extent of Jesus' love to his own death. And the extent of Jesus' knowledge to the very core of your being. The hidden you. The you that nobody else knows about, Jesus knows completely and fully. Well, now it's time to consider the extent of your response to this kind of love and this kind of knowledge. And, and, and interestingly, this cannot be answered from the text. We cannot go to the text and get the answer to the extent of our response. No, my friends, We have to look to our own lives. We have to, as it were, look in the mirror. And to be sure, God's word is as a mirror for us. So let's answer that by asking a couple of questions. First, do you know him? Do you know Jesus Do you know Jesus as the good shepherd? Because we read in verse 14 that Jesus' own sheep know him. Do you hear his voice? We read in verse 3. Do you know his voice? We read in verse 4. Do you listen to his voice? We read in verse 16. These are three ways of saying the same thing. Do you recognize Jesus when he speaks? And children, how does Jesus speak to us today? Where does Jesus speak to us? We have it right here. Jesus speaks to us through his word. 
the Scriptures. We know Him through His Word and by His Spirit. So the first question is this, do you know Him? And the second question is, do you love Him? Do you love Him? You say you know Him. Well, do you love Him? Now, how does Jesus define what it means to love Him? Turn with me over to John chapter 14, verse 15. It's very simple. Jesus cannot be misunderstood here. This could not be subject to a whole lot of interpretation as to what Jesus means. Chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, in 1958, the teddy bears had a song that stayed for three weeks as number one. Some of you who may remember that was like this. To know him is to love him. But you know, there's another version of that song. And it goes like this. To know him is to love him. And to love him, help me out, is to obey him. Unfortunately, that did not go to number one. And it's still struggling in the... uh, in the lower recesses of the top hundred hits. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. So says Jesus. So what's your answer to these two life-defining questions? If yes, if you can answer yes, that I know him and I love him, here's what you also realize. You realize that you're much worse than you think. After all, you're a sheep. But you're more loved than you could ever imagine. Because in using this imagery of shepherd and sheep, this is what Jesus is saying. You are worse than you think you are, but you are more loved and cherished and valued and precious than you could ever imagine. And therefore, the sheep that know Jesus, that love Jesus, the shepherd, they are in possession of both utter confidence and utter humility and my friends only the Holy Spirit can produce in one person someone who's absolutely sure and absolutely confident but yet absolutely humble and contrite and as they look at the lost people among them and around them there is no air of superiority there is no air of I got it together and you don't no because they realize they are a sheep that wandered and has been rescued by the good shepherd the sheep with the shepherd is utterly confident in his shepherd but is utterly compassionate toward the other sheep that are still wandering. So that's if your answer is yes. But what if your answer is no? What if you honestly say to yourself, you know what, I don't know him and I don't love him. Look what Jesus says in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also And they will listen to my voice. Don't despair. If you answer no, don't despair. Why? Because Jesus right now, right at this very moment, may be calling you. You may be hearing the voice of the good 
shepherd. Look how verse 16 continues. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. In other words, our text concerns church government with the shepherd, indeed Presbyterian church government, biblical, practical church government represents Jesus in his rule of oversight and his rule of service through the elders and the deacons of the church. Well, let's wrap up by remembering just two things from John chapter 10. Two things. First, we are sheep. Never, my friends, forget this. We are sheep. We are lost, dirty, stupid, stubborn at times, wandering sheep in great need of a shepherd. And we have one. In Christ, that is by faith in Christ, we are saved, we are safe, and we are satisfied. So the first thing to remember is we are sheep. And the second thing to remember, as I just sort of alluded to, is Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus the King leads and cares for his church as a shepherd, the good shepherd. The story is told of a tour bus in Israel. And it was a group of Americans taking that uh, sought-after trip to Israel. And their tour guide, as he was um, uh, announcing uh, what they should look out and see to the left and to the right of the verse, they got into some hill country, into to some areas where sheep were grazing. And, and there were shepherds with the sheep. And he announced that um, the shepherd always is out in front of the sheep. The shepherd is always leading the sheep out front. Well, the, the bus continued on and, and they came across a group of sheep. But there was a man, not out front, but a man behind the sheep, prodding and pushing. Now, I guess there were probably some American smart alecks on the bus who snickered and thought, aha, this Israeli tour guide is not accurate. Because he told us that shepherds are always out front. So the tour bus had the driver stop the bus and he got off and he went over to the man and talked to him and he gets back on the bus. And uh, some of the people said, well, what was the deal? And the tour guide said, that wasn't the shepherd. That was the butcher. My friends... Jesus is a shepherd. He doesn't push or drive his sheep. He leads them. We follow Jesus. We are not pushed or driven by him. He runs the church by leading the church, leading from the front. We follow him because we have heard his voice calling us by name, come follow me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus runs his church. He governs his church to be sure as the king. 
but as the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus provides everything that we sheep truly need and ultimately want. The good shepherd is still calling his lost and wandering sheep and leading them to green pastures. Brothers and sisters, come to him. Follow him by faith and live. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this rich and vivid and true imagery of our Savior being our shepherd. And Father, we are amazed when we consider the extent of his love to the degree that he would lay down his life for us and also the degree of his knowledge of us. Oh, Father, may you be pleased to work in us a growing relationship where our Savior knows us and we know our Savior and we hear his voice and we listen to his voice and we follow him. Father, may this church, as you continue to lead and guide and protect this church, may you give us faithful under-shepherds that could continue to lead the flock that you are gathering and growing to Jesus, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, our good shepherd. For we pray in his name. Amen. I heard the response to the